0: Amen. Well, please take your Bibles. And if you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, we're in Acts chapter two, uh, no, Acts chapter one this morning. It's our second message uh, in our series, Acts chapter one, verses 12 to 26. Uh, This is a brand new message series for us. We started it last week. It's called Church on the Move. And we are just getting started uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, Last week's message was called Don't Just Stand There, right? Don't just stand there. And we saw that how as a church and as individuals, we are called, we're supposed to be moving, right? We're a church in the move, moving out with the gospel. Don't just stand there. Well, today's message is called, which way should I go? Okay, right? Don't just stand there. Which way should I go? Yeah, we're called to be a church in the move, but on the move to where? And, and you know, we need to know God's direction, we need to know God's will, and, and that's exactly where the book of Acts brings us next. And, and so, how can I know God's will for my life? Very common question, one that we'll be addressing uh, through our message this morning. So, we're in Acts chapter 1, and uh, for right now, I'm just going to read verses 21 through 23. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. Verse 21. Peter is speaking here, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Dear God, as we look into your word now and and, uh, learn about uh, this very uh, important uh, incident that took place back in uh, the days of the early church, Lord, help us to see how these things apply to us today. And and Lord, if there's anybody here struggling with how to know your will, Lord, I pray that they would uh, find the instruction that they need from your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So our passage today, and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll read through the passage as as we go through the message. Our passage revolves around a vitally important decision, a decision that the apostles needed to make in the early church. And basically, their question was this, what do we do now that Judas is gone? What do we do? Right? Jesus chose 12 apostles, and now there are only 11. So what was God's will in this situation, and how could they know God's will? And as we follow through the process that God used in the apostles' decision, uh, we can learn some vital principles for ourselves on how we can know God's will in our lives. This this is common, isn't it? We, We often come up against these hard decisions in life. It's not always easy to know which way you should go, right? And this is why it's so important that we understand how do we discern God's will in our life. And I'll tell you this, when you put God first in all of your decisions, you will spare yourself a whole lot of heartache, sidetracks, and detours that will only set you back in life. So today we're exploring that question. How can I know God's will for my life? Or to put it another way, when faced with key decisions in my life, which way should I go? So that, that's where we're heading today. There's an outline in your worship guide. I encourage you to take that out. It will help you to follow along in the message. And you may want to jot down some notes as God speaks certain things to you uh, along the way. How can you know God's will in your life? First of all, okay, before you do anything else, if you want to know God's will in your life first, you need to submit your own will to God. You need to submit your will to God. There's not much sense in wanting to know God's will for your life if you're not willing to follow it once you know it, right? Where's the sense in that? See, otherwise, all you're doing is you're just secretly hoping that God's going to affirm what you want to do anyways, right? Right? We've all been there, right? So, so how, do you do, how do you submit your own will to God? Well, first, by obeying what you already know. It's right there in your outline. By obeying what you already know. And We find this in verses 12 and 13. Let's get started in our passage now. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. That's not Judas Iscariot. He's not there. There's only 11 names in that list. But look at the names just for a minute. Notice that first we have Peter, John, James, and Andrew. You might remember James and John, they were brothers. Peter and Andrew, they were brothers as well. But this is a new ordering of their names, okay? In the Gospels, it was always either this. You went either Peter, Andrew, James, and John, or it was Peter and then James and John and then Andrew. But here's the thing. Peter was always first in the list. But when it came to James and John, it's always that way in the Gospels. James and John, James and John, It's never John and then James, and yet here for the first time we see John and then James. This shows a new prominence for John among the apostles, uh, perhaps reflected by uh, Peter and John being those first disciples to go to the empty tomb, Uh, certainly substantiated, substantiated later by the five books of the New Testament that were written by John. Uh, Peter, James, and John, you might remember, uh, this was Jesus' inner circle of his disciples in the Gospels. And apart from this list right here, outside of the Gospels, only three disciples are ever mentioned in the rest of the New Testament. Peter, John, and James. Only ones mentioned in the rest of the New Testament outside of the Gospels and here in Acts. But the important thing here is what? They returned to Jerusalem. They went back up to the room where they were staying. What did Jesus just told them before he ascended to heaven? He said, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father. They did not know every step God had for them yet, but they knew the next step. And they obeyed what they knew. Imagine for a moment, Imagine if they hadn't obeyed that first command from Christ. Imagine if they said, you know what, we're tied to Jerusalem, let's go back to Galilee. They would have missed out on the gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they would have missed out on the entire adventure of the book of Acts. So that's your first step in submitting your will to God. You need to obey what you already know. Makes sense, right? If you don't do the first thing, you can't do the next thing. Obey what you already know. Secondly, you submit your will to God by waiting on the Lord in prayer. Waiting on the Lord in prayer. Look at verse 14 next. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. So they go back to Jerusalem and wait. What are they doing while they're waiting? They're praying. They prayed. Ironically, the first step in knowing which way should I go is to stop. Okay? It's to stop and pray. You need to pause and wait. You need to wait on God and his timing. You need to wait for God to make his way clear. And the 11 remaining apostles, they were not alone in this. Luke says they were joined by some of the women. This, this probably included Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna. They were mentioned as part of the group of women who traveled with uh, Jesus and the apostles in the days of the Gospels. Uh, Mary, the mother of James, is probably there. Uh, she was also mentioned as being at the empty tomb. Uh, perhaps some of the, other, the apostles' wives, perhaps some of their wives are there, perhaps all of their wives. And then Mary, the mother of Jesus, she gets special mention here. She's singled out among the women. Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is the very last time that Mary is mentioned by name in the rest of the New Testament. It's right here. Jesus' brothers are there as well. The Gospel of Mark tells us their names. James, Judas, uh, Joseph, and Simon. Remember, they did not believe in Jesus earlier, but now they're part of this group, and they're all together, and they are praying together in the upper room. The fact that they are praying together speaks of their unity in prayer. They prayed constantly. That speaks of their perseverance in prayer. In the very last verse of the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So you put that all together, what do you got? There was continuous praise in the temple and constant prayer at home. And you know what? That is not a bad pattern for us to follow, is it? Spend time praising God at church and then praying to him at home. And these were 10 days of fervent waiting on the Lord in prayer. So That's our first step in knowing God's will. You need to submit your will to God. And you do that by obeying what you already know and by waiting on the Lord in prayer. Secondly, you need to trust God's word. You need to trust God's word. And that's what the apostles did here. They had this very important decision to make, right? Jesus chose 12 disciples, now there's only 11. What do we do? What do you do? Where do you go when you want to know which way you should go, right? Where do you go? You go, first of all, every time to the Word of God. You go to God's Word. Why? Because God will never contradict His own Word. It's not going to happen. The will of God and the Word of God are always in perfect harmony. And so that's where they go first. Peter stands up, and what does he do? He points them to the Scriptures. He points them to God's Word. Look at the next verse. It's 15 to 17. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Peter first affirms God's inspiration of the scriptures, and then he directs their attention to what the Holy Spirit said through David concerning Judas. Now, notice the group is larger now, it's growing. Right, we've gone from twelve apostles to 120 believers. And he addresses them as brothers. This is the first time the word brothers is used for believers in the New Testament. The number 120 is significant here. Jewish law required 120 men in order to form a new community uh, with its own council. And so this group, Luke is us, this group is big enough to be a new community. In fact, it is a new community. It is the new community of believers in Jesus Christ. Peter says, Judas, he was one of our number. He shared in our ministry, but he also betrayed Jesus. He was a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So what do we do? First, Luke gives us a quick little sideline, uh, telling us what happened to Judas. Uh, could be the, those reading the book of Acts didn't know. It's like, well, what happened? You're saying this Judas guy's gone. What happened to him? Verses 18 through 19. you see it's in parentheses. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field, in their language, akeldama, that is, field of blood. Luke first draws attention to Judas's wickedness here. Yes, it was prophesied that Judas would betray Jesus. However, Judas was not compelled to to betray Jesus. He was not forced to do this against his will. None of us are ever forced against our will. He made his own choice in his own heart, resulting in the evil action of betraying Christ. Luke tells us Judas bought a field. Uh, with the money he got for betraying Jesus, and and then a kind of gruesome verse there—he he fa- fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. Aren't you glad we don't have coffee and donuts today, right? Yeah, yeah it's just kind of a gruesome image. Now, the Gospel of Matthew tells us—it sounds a little different in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew tells us says the priests bought the field, not Judas. Says that Judas hanged himself, not that he fell in the field. And it gives a different reason for the naming of the field. And skeptics always come to the Bible. Remember, we're talking about trusting God's word here. They come to the Bible and say, see, that's a contradiction. It's all different. But you know, it is so easy to see how these two accounts agree with each other. They're just giving us different details. First of all, where do Luke and Matthew both agree? They all agree that Judas died a gruesome death, right? That that a field was purchased with the money. Uh, you, know, those, uh, you know, those coins of silver was purchased, a field was purchased, and that that field got a name. It was called the field of blood. And so that really just leaves three questions about the two accounts. How did Judas die? By hanging, that's what Matthew said, or by falling, that's what Luke said. Most likely by both, right? He probably hung himself, right? You know, if, if you're going to fall down and your intestines spill out, you're probably not tripping over a rock, okay? So he probably hung himself from a tree. He was up at a height, breaks falls headlong, and the body splits open. Who bought the field, Judas or the priest? Well, in a sense, they both did. It was Judas's money, but he returned the money, and the priest used it to buy the field. So either way, you could, you could put it either way. Why was it called the field of blood? Was it because of the blood money? That's what Matthew says. Was it because of Judas's grisly death? Probably a combination of both. Might have started with one, and people heard field of blood, and they might have attributed it to the other. See, it all works together. Once again, God will never contradict his own word. The Bible is God's word, and so scripture will never contradict itself. And then Peter brings up two specific prophecies from the Old Testament, both found in the book of Psalms, both Psalms of David. Look at verse 20. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. That's the first one. And may another take his place of leadership. That first prophecy comes from Psalm 69. It speaks of Judas losing his place among the apostles. Uh, portions of Psalm 69 are applied to Jesus five times in the New Testament. This is a, a psalm that very much speaks of Jesus and his life. The second prophecy comes from Psalm 109. This directs them to appoint another to take his place of leadership. Peter, being guided here by the Holy Spirit, he's drawn to these two passages, these two prophecies, and God says, apply these specifically now to Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. Once again, you can trust God's word. As we see with the example of Judas, God will never contradict his own word, and scripture must be fulfilled, even as it was fulfilled here. Okay, that's all preliminary. That's getting us all leading to our big question now. How can you know God's will for your life? Right? We've looked at two preliminary things. First, submit your own will to God. Secondly, know God's word, trust God's word. And now you're ready to discern God's will in your life. So that's where we're going to close out today. We're going to talk about discerning God's will. And we're going to see that the apostles followed four steps, four steps here. Those are the exact same four steps we can follow as well as we apply them to our lives. Uh, the first step is Scripture. Scripture. What does the Bible say? And in verse 21, Peter begins this way. He says, Therefore it is necessary. Okay, he's going to go on and say what's necessary, but first of all, why was it necessary? Therefore, because of what the Scripture just said. He just read the Scriptures from the Psalms. The first step in discerning God's will, is always go to the Bible first. Make sure you're already obeying and understanding what God says there. For example, very common situation nowadays, if an unmarried couple is trying to decide whether, hey, should we move in together? What's the first thing you ask? Same thing you ask with any decision. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does God say in his word? And if you go to the Bible, they'll see God tells them very clearly, very directly in his word that you should not live together as husband and wife until after you are married. And so if they truly want to know God's will for their life, they will choose not to move in together. Why? Because we've already said why. Because God will never contradict his own word. And the first step to knowing God's will is you obey what you already know. The will of God will never contradict the word of God. That's your first step in discerning God's will is what does the Bible say? Make sure that whatever you're deciding doesn't go against God's word. The second step is wisdom. Wisdom. And here the question is not what does the Bible say, but how do I apply God's word now? Now that I know what the Bible says, how do I apply God's word to my particular situation? And that's exactly what the apostles did. Let's pick up a Peter again in verses 21 and 22. He said, therefore, they've read God's word, they went to Scripture first, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They already knew what the Bible said, right? They knew that that Judas would betray Jesus and another would take his place of leadership. Now they needed wisdom to apply what the Bible said to their situation. What's their situation once again? Jesus chose 12 disciples. One of them has forfeited his place. Therefore, it's necessary that they choose another. Why? Because of Scripture and because very clearly Jesus had chosen 12 disciples for a reason that was not a random number right there were 12 tribes of israel and god chose the 12 apostles as the founders of this new community jesus said that the 12 apostles would one day judge the 12 tribes of israel you go to the book of revelation chapter 21 tells us that the new jerusalem will have what 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of israel and 12 foundations With the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I can guarantee you Judas' name is not going to be one of those 12 on the foundations. you got to choose another. And so they're using wisdom here now. Jesus chose the 12 apostles to do what? To be with him and to be witnesses of his resurrection. So wisdom tells them this. This new person that we choose, it's got to be someone who is with us. It's got to be someone who is with Jesus. That whole time from John's baptism to Jesus' ascension. And this person will serve with us as a witness to Christ's resurrection. And so we we learn from this that this office of apostle, those 12 apostles, that was a unique office. Okay, there's no such thing as apostolic succession. Judas forfeited his place and so he needed to be replaced. But as you follow through the book of Acts, which we're going to do, when the other apostles died and they they start dying, James is the first to go in Acts chapter 12, when the other apostles died, there were no further replacements. And so the first step in discerning God's will is scripture. What does the Bible say? But the second step is wisdom. How do I apply God's word? I know what it says now. How do I apply this to my particular situation? Well, where do you get wisdom? Well, certainly, first from Scripture—that's where you start, right? But then a second way is by seeking the counsel of trusted advisors. Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed." So go find some uh, some people that you trust, uh, uh, you know, some Christians, and, and you trust their discernment, and, and get their get their advice as well, and then ask God. Ask God for wisdom. James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That's a promise. If you go to God and say, God, I need wisdom to apply your word to my particular situation, God will answer that prayer. This is a promise of God. God does not break his promises. He will give you the wisdom that you need. That's your second step. You need wisdom to apply God's word to your situation third step is prayer is prayer you just ask god for wisdom now ask god to show you his will once again this is what the apostles did look at the next verses 23 to 25 so they proposed two men joseph called Barsabbas, also known as justice and matthias and then they prayed lord you know everyone's heart, right? He knew Judas's heart. They don't want to get another Judas, right? Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Okay, we'll just leave that one there. But you see, using wisdom to determine the criteria for Judas's replacement, that's what we just looked at, they came up really with a short list of two men. Joseph, and Matthias. Eusebius, who was an early church historian, tells us that these two men, Joseph and Matthias, that these were part of the 72 uh, men that Jesus sent out back in Luke chapter 10. That's interesting. So the apostles are, are deciding, they've looked at the Bible, they've applied wisdom, Scripture and wisdom got them this far. What did they do, they do next? They prayed. Right? They prayed. You know, go back to the Gospels. Jesus prayed before choosing the original 12 apostles. And so the gathered believers also pray. Jesus chose the original 12, and now through prayer they say, Jesus, will you also choose the replacement? This is your choice, Lord Jesus. Show us your will. And it's interesting, when you you read this account, at this point, you don't know who they're going to pick yet, but you know what? Joseph, the first one, he's kind of played up as the more likely choice here, isn't he? First of all, he's named first, right? So, so that strikes out. And then we're given more information about him. We're given this whole pedigree, right? You know, here are how these two choices are presented. First of all, you've got Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias, right? I mean, that's the way it reads. It's very likely that Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, this was their favorite going in. This is the one they thought this is going to be the one. But they prayed, right? They stopped and they prayed, and God's choice prevailed. Oh, I just gave a spoiler. It's going to be Matthias, okay? Remember, God's ways are not our ways. And that's why you always need to stop and pray. How did they discern God's will? They looked to Scripture. What does the Bible say? They used wisdom. How does God's word apply to our situation? They prayed, said, God, show us your will. Finally, they trusted God. God's sovereignty. Look at verse 26 with me now. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, number two on the list. So he was added to the 11 apostles. This was the final step in discerning God's will. They trusted God. They trusted God's sovereignty. Now, in their particular historical situation, Okay, the way they did this, it's going to be different for us, the way they they did this was by casting lots. Casting lots was a common way in biblical times that people used to determine God's will. For example, we read in the book of Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. However, this is the last time in the whole Bible, Old Testament New, last time in the Bible, and it is the only time in the book of Acts that you ever see anyone casting lots as a way of determining God's will. Now, there's going to be a lot of other big decisions coming up in the book of Acts. What do we see people doing? We see them, what does the Bible say? They look to Scripture. They apply biblical wisdom. They pray about it. God, show us your will, but there is no more casting of lots after this and this is a great example of something we learned last week in our introduction to the book of acts what did we say last week we are not to build doctrines out of the narrative passages in scripture we're not to build doctrines out of the narrative passages. the narratives are just telling us what happened doesn't necessarily tell us what's supposed to happen right It's unlikely God wants us drawing lots today. Why? Because it never comes up again. We have the completed word of God. They did not have that. Uh, We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet to them. And so we have these two invaluable resources, God's word and God's spirit, the apostles did not have when they were making this decision. You'll find some people arguing that the apostles made a mistake here. They chose the wrong guy. Now, they're not saying that they should have chosen Joseph instead of Matthias. But you hear people say they should have chosen Paul. They should have waited. Paul was God's chosen replacement. Once again, it's it's tricky when you're interpreting a narrative text because not all that is narrated is always commendable. But in this case, there is no indication in the text at all that God was not leading the apostles in this process. I mean, what did they do? They, they they went to the Bible first. They applied wisdom. They prayed, God, show us your will. They trusted God's sovereignty. I, I believe we can safely say the apostles correctly discerned God's will. And Matthias was to be that replacement for Judas. Okay, we've been back in the book of Acts. Now we need to bring this forward into our lives today. How do you discern God's will today? You just follow the same four steps that the apostles did an act. So in closing, let me give you just this really simple four-way grid that you can use anytime you're seeking God's will for your life. Scripture, you start with Scripture. Why? Because God's word is perfectly true. It is an absolutely reliable guide for your life, and God will never contradict what he says in his word. Scripture. Number two, wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is necessary for you to know how to apply God's word to your situation. And you learn God's wisdom by looking to God's word, talking with trusted counselors, and then asking God directly for wisdom. Prayer. Even after you've examined God's word and you've talked with others and you've asked God for wisdom, you still want to pray. Stop and pray. Ask God to show you his will in your situation. And number four, God. Trust God's sovereignty. Not a matter of casting lots nowadays, but you trust God. God doesn't want to hide things from you, okay? Let's let's just step back. If you are submitting your will to God, right? That's where we started. If you're trusting his word and you're seeking God's will, God will be glad to guide and direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. You are going to make so many important decisions in your life. There are going to be those times when you find yourself asking, which way should I go? And that's when you're going to need to discern God's will. So submit your will to God, right? Obey what you already know. Wait on the Lord in prayer. Number two, trust God's word. The will of God will never contradict the word of God. And then use this this four-way grid, right, of scripture, wisdom, Prayer and God. You can just write those four, four words down Scripture, wisdom, prayer, and God. You discern God's will by looking to Scripture, applying wisdom to your decisions, asking God to show you His will, and then trusting Him. Trust His sovereignty in your life. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. It is a, a practical word, and uh, there's so much of value for us here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn how to apply these principles to our lives so that we can know and follow your will in our lives because, God, your will is the best will. Your paths are peace. And, Lord, how wonderful to know that we are walking in the center of your will. Help us with these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.